What are big growth areas for the Jazz to achieve both individually and as a team? And should Keontae George be on the all-rookie team? Find out next, all on Locked On Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome into Locked On Jazz. I'm Leif Tulin, and I'm excited to be back with you guys, filling in for David Locke on Locked On Jazz. I am a lifelong jazz fan who's credentialed NBA draft analyst for Locked On NBA Big Board, attendee of the 2023 Combine, Utah Jazz broadcast assistant statistician, and college basketball lover. So the stats side, college basketball, NBA, I'll have you covered. Don't expect all the geeky numbers of usual with David Locke to be gone. And there's plenty in this episode ahead, but I'm hoping to make you guys as knowledgeable about the Utah Jazz as possible. Thanks for making Locked On Jazz your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Jazz is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube at Locked On Jazz, where the best way to help us grow is to comment anything below. And today's question is, what jazz player do you expect to make the most strides to close this season? That being the 2024 side of the 2023-2024 season. I'm very curious your take. I think there's going to be a lot of one answer and I'm going to address a few players that I think need to make strides for the Jazz, both in the short term and the long term. And I'll tell you what those are coming up next. Want to shout out today's sponsor. It's brought to you by FanDuel, and you can play on FanDuel with any $5 winning bet. You can make up to, you get $150 in a bo- in bonus bets along with the money you would make with that $5 bet. All right, so today's show is a jam-packed one. In the first segment, I'll point to areas I think the Jazz as a team should focus on achieving the short run and how they can have long-term dividends beyond just this season. In the second segment, I'll make a case for Keontae George to be on the all-rookie ballots and be a first-team all-rookie uh, team player. And, and that is becoming difficult because the rookies are really starting to grow into their own. And I'll also break down certain aspects of Walker Kessler's main areas to improve and what the numbers dictate about those areas and in the final segment i'll discuss taylor hendricks and the experience of what is taylor hendricks for the utah jazz right now how he's been handled and many other things there's been some uh, fans who voiced their concerns about his shooting and other areas and i'll lay out a reasonable expectation path for growth comparing to other young players in similar situations all right let's dive right in i have three attainable goals for the jazz to achieve the rest of the season and that those aren't directly about winning and losing, but they certainly correlate with winning and losing habits. Uh, the Jazz will get better if they do these things well, both in the short term and the long term, as a lot of these things are individual are, are individually driven and with some individuals on the team that are younger. The first goal is simple. The Jazz have struggled defensively since the trade deadline, despite playing more minutes of the supposedly superior defenders in Walker Kessler. And he's starting, he's playing four more minutes per game than his average, which is also being bumped up by those games. And then you're playing Taylor Hendricks, who in his draft profile, you would point to athleticism and defensive skill set being being a plus defender. Those players are playing more. The Jazz's defense is getting worse. Uh, The Jazz are going up 129, 129, 138, and 140 in four games since the trade deadline. Granted, those are against some teams that are good, but not great offensively. And compared to the rest of the NBA, they're not too far ahead of the average, and the Lakers were also missing LeBron James. The Jazz's defensive ratings in those contests were 128, 122, 135, and 137, meaning the Jazz are giving up 128 points per 100 possessions, 122 points per 100 possessions, 135 points per 100 possessions, and 137 
points on 100 possessions, meaning that there were just over 100 possessions in, in most of those games as those the scores were just above that rate. Uh, the top NBA offensive rating for any given team is the Boston Celtics, and they're at 122, meaning the Jazz were allowing more points in, in each of those games than what the Celtics score on an offensive rating on any given night, and that is the top team in the NBA. That makes that means the Jazz are making every team look extraordinary, which they've been good, but not extraordinary. My first goal is to be competitive defensively as a team. And yes, regression to the mean will occur, and the Jazz won't be giving up 134 points per game for the rest of the year after the trade deadline, but the Jazz can make strides in that department. Walker Kessler has been blocking shots at a high level, and he's among the very best in the league at deterring shots around the rim. He allows only 48% of layups to be made against him, considered very good by Synergy, and that is excellent. He's also within six feet, the league's second-best defender as of a few games ago when I was working a broadcast with David Locke, and he was telling the story of Walker Kessler near the rim. You don't shoot against him because you don't score, and that is that has been the case since his rookie year and especially this year where the numbers don't lie, and that backs up how good a defender he is. But why are the Jazz giving up so many points then if he's playing more minutes and he's playing starters minutes next to big guys like John Collins and Lowry Markham? Well, here are some rationales that I will share with you. The Jazz allow fewer easy, then they need to allow fewer easy paths to the rim, which Kessler protects, but that leaves the Jazz susceptible to from three. I think a large part of this is the pride of defending your man, guard your yard. Chris Dunn and Simone Fontecchio were the two players I would associate most, most closely with guarding their yard. And Dunn is still on the roster, but he's not starting. And Fontecchio is in Detroit. He also is in the starting lineup, and that's changed the dynamic as two of the primary uh, wing defenders. And Ochai Baji as well would probably be the third one I would associate with guarding his yard. And so those guys aren't playing as much or are on different rosters. And now the Jazz have formed this offensive identity with smaller guards in a very big front court, and they're not pr- stopping the ball in the perimeter at the point of attack. So that would be the first thing. Uh, the Jazz need to be able to use that length on the interior with that front court of Lowry, Mark, and John Collins of Walker Kessler to, to make themselves a better, more disruptive defensive unit and maybe get out and run. That's something I think the Jazz haven't done very much schematically. They get a lot of offensive rebounds using their size, but why can't they be influential defensively with that size? My goal for the Jazz would become a more cohesive defensive unit that can be more serviceable playing man-to-man defense without Chris Dunn in the lineup. They tend to play better man-to-man defense when Dunn is in the lineup, and they've been more successful as going in and out of zones when when done uh, with or without done. But the Jazz with done can be a serviceable man-to-man defense as he's taken Shea Gilgis Alexander and hounded some of the elite guards in the NBA before the trade deadline when the Jazz were winning their last couple games. They played some of the elite teams. They played Tyrese Maxey, and and he scored 51. But when the Jazz clawed into that game, Chris Dunn was hounding Maxey, took the ball away, denied the ball. When he's not in, the Jazz's identity defensively has suffered, and they've mostly been reliant on winning rebounding battles and winning shootouts. That can't quite last if you're intending on winning games like the Jazz need to do. A number to track that I would nominate would be threes allowed, as the Jazz will allowed 17 threes per game in those four games. And once more, that is more than any team in the NBA averages. And only the Warriors shoot a lot of threes, so that's clearly being left open by the Jazz, as both the Suns and Lakers have put a beating on the Jazz from behind the arc as well. Uh, the Suns ranked 22nd in threes, man. The Lakers ranked 27th, and they well exceeded their averages in both. I would also love to see the Jazz uh, see fewer three see fewer threes go down, 
but I think that starts with the perimeter defense and because Kessler creates a a deterrent at the rim, the kick out is left open and maybe the jazz need to use their length to get in those passing lanes. And if they're going to allow rim attacks need to run players off of the line more, uh, more effectively. The second goal for the jazz is that, and this is harder to measure, but I think it may be more important than number one in the long term. And that is finding continuity between Keontae George and Lowry Markham, as they are already vital to the Jazz this season, but will be more so later on in seasons to come. Whether this plays, uh, this is in terms of plays designed for the two of them with a pick and pop or pick and roll or more actions designed for Markham that Keontae George is orchestrating at the top, where he's the point guard finding Markham off of curls. If it's designed post ups for Markham with George finding him, or maybe it's marketing using his gravity to find Keontae George. Um, I think the Jazz need to find a way to create more chances that are easy for Lowry Markin, who's been struggling since Kelly Olynyk. He's shot poorly and hasn't even reached his average in the four games of 23 points per game since Kelly Olynyk ha- has departed, who is probably the best creator on the Jazz. I think now the Jazz have two gifted offensive players in George and, and Olynyk, uh, who need to find a way, sorry, excuse me, George and Markinen, who need to find a way to get the best out of one another, both in the short term and in the long term. So that would be a concerted effort of mine to get the ball in the hands of those two and work on plays and and uh, the ability to create cohesion between the two, as often Keontae George uh, has played with Jordan Clarkson in the second unit and had had the playmaking duties kind of shared with Clarkson and Olenek. And now it's his job to be the primary creator and Lowry Markin's job to be the primary scorer. Uh, Keontae so far has been a below, below average pick and roll guard per synergy, shooting just 34% on pick and rolls. I don't think that's fair to the development in the pick and roll um, to say like, oh, he's not very good in that. But I also think that he's got a team that can roll more easily now. He and Walker Kessler will play together. He and John Collins will play more minutes together. And there's there's a guy in marketing who can make things very interesting in a pick and roll or pick and pop situation as he's so fluid around the rim as an athlete and excellent, excellent shooter. Uh, I think George is a very good scorer, and I think the it's vital to see those two coexist, not only coexist, but flourish as a tandem. And I think they could be two of the cornerstones for the lineup to come. Uh, George scored 33 in his last game against the Warriors. And he was able to do that off the uh, both catch and shoot and also off the dribble. And he's been a good off the dribble shooter uh, in at various levels throughout his development as a player, both collegiately, even in high school, collegiately and as a pro. So I think that's key to see him work on the pick and roll, exploit that defense and use Lowry Markkinen's gravity to let him grow into being a focal point in the offense, as opposed to someone who's deferential to Clarkson or Olenek, who is a creative hub uh, in the second unit in times past. The third goal, this one I think will be easy to monitor, but maybe not easy to make the decision on. Let me explain. The third goal is for Colin Sexton to continue his efficiency with which he scores. And can he do so with a younger lineup playing more through Keontae while simultaneously Clarkson still is going to get his 17 off of the bench? What I mean by that is, Sexton has been superb after being inserted into the starting lineup. He's averaged 21 and a half points per game, five and a half assists and 22.5 rebounds, sorry, 2.5 rebounds in 33 games as a starter this season. That's really, really good. I would like to see how Sexton settles into that role as the off ball guard next to Keontae George, because he figures to be into the jazz's future plans as the point guard. He's got the keys to the franchise. And if he's the point guard, how does, 
he set up Sexton? How does Sexton handle having someone younger than him who also is offensively minded uh, setting him up as opposed to uh, someone like Dunn, who who is no, knows his role as defense and being a table setter on offense, which allows for Sexton to do what he wants as a score in the in the games off of the bench. And the reason I'll bring this up is: Does Sexton factor in as the starting shooting guard if Keontae George is the starting point guard of the future? Because that's a diminutive lineup. The Jazz have proven with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley and, and in other instances that defensively it's very difficult to play diminutive backcourts. I know Keontae George is 6'4", but he's also very slender, and Colin Sexton is a 6'1 shooting guard. He's got a big heart, and he's got a tremendous motor, but it's difficult to be successful in that regard. But off of the bench, Colin Sexton has struggled. He scored 12.7 points per game, 3.2 assists, 2.7 rebounds in 23 games off the bench. So he's a markedly, markedly better as a starter. Can he continue to score efficiently, and can the Jazz improve defensively with the backcourt of Keontae George and Colin Sexton? I think it'll be very interesting to monitor Colin Sexton in that backcourt. Can they coexist? Can Sexton continue to flourish in that starting role? And can it produce winning basketball? Those are my immediate goals for the Jazz that factor in the long-term equation. And coming up next, I'll tell you about Keontae George's all-rookie team candidacy, plus some areas I think uh, that are easy to improve, or maybe not easy to improve, but that I think are feasible to improve for Walker Kessler for this season, and he'll carry over into the long-term success of the Utah Jazz. But first, let me tell you about FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. That's a great deal. And it doesn't have to be a big elaborate bet either. You can bet a, a one game, and if you hit, you get your $150 bonus. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live game, same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. You can basically do whatever you want on FanDuel. If you if you want to, if you're a big props better, those are there as well. If you're someone who thinks, oh, I'm an, I'm a genius, I got the right reads today. Let's play, let's play multiple NBA games, and I've got the reads on this, the spread, the money line. You can do it all on FanDuel, and you can parlay them together and get your fortune. I personally am not allowed to bet on the NBA because I work for the Utah Jazz, but I've done this when attending March Madness betting on college basketball last year in Denver, and it was a blast, and they mailed me my check afterwards, and I got the bonus bets just as promised here. Awesome deal. Could not be more happy to recommend this, and I, I advise you guys to check it out. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on and shoot your shot. FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Also, if you're looking to hire and make things happen, go no, look no further than LinkedIn. When you're hiring for your small business and you want to find quality professionals that are the right for your role, that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast, and I mean vast, network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn does it all for you. All all of that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy so that when you have many quality candidates, which of course you will have, it it becomes so easy that in fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. As soon as your listing hits, 86% of the time, you're going to get a quality candidate within those 24 hours. And of course, more and more will trickle in with LinkedIn jobs promoting your job, 
beautifully. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. Post your job post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Well, welcome back into Locked On Jazz. In this segment, we'll discuss where Keontae George factors into the Rookie of the Year voting and all the all-rookie team conversations. And where does he does he get the first team? Is he on the second team? And what does his promise look like beyond just this initial year where the voting transpires? And secondly, where what are the two areas for Walker Kessler to take advantage of with no Olenek and playing more minutes alongside starters? By the way, have you heard about Locked On having launched their first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube? And now it's also available on Amazon Fire TV in the free Fire TV channels app. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts on Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Find Locked On Sports Today now available on the free Fire TV channels app. That's pretty awesome. Get it, uh, check it out. I've actually been on there a few times with Locked On College Basketball. Really cool to see the stuff going on over there nationally. And you can see all the teams latest on Fire TV. Could not recommend it more highly. And I, I think it, it's very cool as you guys are listening to this. You guys love sports. And that, that just helps your knowledge of all the sports you love. So a player you, you love and are going to love even more, Keontae George. He, as we speak, averages 11.7 points per game, nearly three rebounds, just over four assists, and I expect those averages to increase by the end of the season, which helps his numerical tallies and more people see those numbers and be more impressed. Keontae as a starter, however, which he figures to be the rest of the season, has averaged 13.4 points per game, 5.8 assists, and 3.3 rebounds in 19 games as a starter. The ball will be in his hands, and I think that he will end up averaging around 13 points per game with far more playmaking responsibilities, and thus he can add to his assist tally as well. In terms of scoring, Keontae is sixth place uh, in points per game and uh, beyond all rookies. Wembenyama leads the way, then Chet Holmgren, then Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, and Jaime Hawkes Jr. are the five ahead of Keontae George. An assist, Keontae is in second behind Scoot Henderson, who has 4.7. Keontae George, mind you, has 4.3. But as I said, as a starter, 5.8 for Keontae George. So there's a chance he catches Scoot there. And then, so that's attainable. Keontae is also narrowly behind Brandon Miller and Jordan Hawkins, who each make a touch over two threes per game. And George has 1.9 made threes per game. And I think his volume should increase. As a starter, George makes 2.1 threes per game, which would have him just ahead of Jordan Hawkins and slightly behind Brandon Miller who also is taking off. I don't know if he quite catches Brandon Miller, but it's possible. In some, George is a very real case to be first-team all-rookie. My guess is it would be Wembenyama, Chet, Brandon Miller, Scoot, and Jaime Hawkes, and then George will be sixth. The only person I think that you could scooch out of this would be Scoot Henderson, who is doing this on a not-very-good team, so George was, would have a better team, and their counting stats would be similar, and thus count to George as a chance. But the issue there is if you're going to factor in the better team, Brandon Pajemski, who was playing for the Warriors, has now been inserted into the starting lineup, does rival George in, in some of these stats. Um, but I think Keontae George has a chance. I wouldn't I wouldn't write home and say, oh, he's going to, going to be a first-team guy, bet on it. But I would say there's a real chance, especially considering how much faith I think the Utah Jazz have in Keontae George. That said, if I were redrafting, 
And I did two pods of this this summer. You guys all listened. Thank you to the everydayers who are uh, tuning back in. I, I had Keontae George going about seven right after the draft once the summer league started and he was tearing it up that I said, I think he's got as much potential as, as anyone other than a couple of these top guys. And based on a few other high rookie performances uh, from players like Osar and Amon Thompson, uh, who, who played well at various stints there, that I wouldn't quite move George, who went 16th over guys that went fourth and fifth. But I think it's possible now. And I think it's possibly goes above seven where I had him, which already was considered high by many at that point. I think it's very possible that he ends up higher than some of the other guys. The other risers in the NBA, in the grand scheme of the NBA would be Jaime Hawkins Jr., Brandon Pojemski, and Cam Whitmore, who went 18, 19, and 20. George obviously went 16. And I think he can infiltrate the top seven. Those guys probably are cracking the top 10. I think George has a real chance if you're to do a redraft just one year in to be a top five, top six pick in the NBA draft, meaning the Jazz came away with the steal. As for Walker Kessler, who also would be considered a steal, having gone 22nd, I would love to see his free throw percentage jump. That's that's a simple one that I think in time will ha happen. But here are some stats to support this. If his free throw percentage increases, that'll make him hopefully more aggressive at the rim and more assertive at the rim when paired in pick and rolls. And I think part of the going up soft is, is he doesn't want to get fouled. Um, I think he needs to be more aggressive in that regard. I think Kessler is an excellent rim runner where he is considered excellent in transition by synergy. And that's a category. It's excellent, then very good, then good, and then below average and, and those type of things. But he is excellent. The top, top tier in transition. Um, and I hope the Jazz more, run more frequently despite a big front court because they have some really good athletes. Secondly, I think Kessler must improve as a finisher of non-dunks, which boils down to being more assertive and as he only converts on 47% of layups. And that is very much attainable to improve. And that is not very good. Uh, Kessler has been better at the free throw line as of late. Kessler has shot 13 of 15 in his last 15 attempts from the free throw line. I think confidence and regularity of playing time, the playing stints, stuff like that really does matter in the, for the youthful rookies and, and young players in the NBA. I think Kessler will improve in that regard as everyone will tell you that he's got really good hands, coordination, fluidity. And when he played at North Carolina his freshman year before playing at Auburn as, in his sophomore year, where the next year he was obviously drafted by the Jazz, he was known as a stretch five, didn't shoot it particularly well, but he's been touted for having that ability. And obviously this summer, a lot of the talk was always oh, trying to work on shooting threes. So if he's got the capacity to shoot threes, I think he's got every capacity to improve his free throw percentage. Uh, so finishing and uh, improving as a, a layups guy, I think will go hand in hand with free throw percentage. The next one is not quite as numerically tallied, but it's something that I think may be more important for the Jazz and for Walker Kessler. Uh, I think Kessler must improve as a screen setter, which allows for him to have more success freeing himself near the rim as a roll man, but also setting free the guy dribbling around his screens or flying around the screens as a shooter. And I think it'll le lead to more crisp, efficient offense, uh, hopefully both in percentages and just in points scored. And I think with him playing pick and roll a lot with Keontae George and that being something that will happen more and more in the future. Uh, his screen setting, which Rudy Gobert was obvi obviously lauded for. He was excellent. He's free Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Joe Ingles to a levels that he would get praise from all the coaches and their pregame sound, which I'd edit. It was always, Oh, we have to 
figure a way to defend Gobert's screens and defend the ball handler and defend the role. If Kessler can become someone who sets screens to advantage his team, I think the Jazz get a huge advantage both for Walker Kessler and the players who will be beneficiaries of Walker Kessler's screen setting. And last point of the screen setting, he picks up a lot of offensive fouls setting screens. That'll saddle him with fouls less frequently, and he'll be allowed to play more freely once he improves his screen setting ability. So those are my goals for Walker Kessler and my thoughts on Keontae George. But coming up next are my thoughts on Taylor Hendricks and the minutes that are controversial among Jazz fans. But first, let me tell you about eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What? And that's what brings home the winning trophy. And it's also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you don't want to do that, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. And also, let me tell you about Murdoch Hyundai. Murdoch Hyundai has been sensational both for my family and jazz fans all around murdochs have been in utah for over 80 years hyundai is the best car for your money with safety features bells whistles and all the amazing features you could want in any given car and they have it in every single murdoch hyundai the suv lineup from the kona to the tucson to the santa fe to the palisade all are wonderful and i've actually ridden in two of those four in recent times and in my family one of those one of those cars has been purchased within the last year the Ionic 5 Electric was just named the Motor Trend SUV of the year by Motor Trend, and the new Ionic 6 is even better. It's amazing. Electric looks like a Porsche and just won the World Car of the Year. There are three locations of Murdoch Honda in Utah, in Linden, Murray, and Logan. I've personally been to the Murray location, and they treated me very nicely. I assume they'll do the same for you at any of those three locations. And go head into Murdoch and get yourself a Honda. Well, welcome back in to Locked On Jazz. Leaf Julian with you here. And this is where we discuss the most polarizing player on the Jazz at the moment. That's Taylor Hendricks. I didn't expect to say that sentence, but I think it's true. Hendricks was drafted ninth out of UCF, and with the ninth pick comes large expectations, fairly or unfairly. But in the case of Taylor Hendricks, it becomes interesting to decipher why he's become polarizing. There has been frustration that he was playing in the G League and his pathway to playing was being obscured by veterans like Kelly Olenek, the trade for John Collins, Kessler, Fontecchio. A lot of these guys were playing positions. And oh, yeah, the best player on the team, Lowry Markin, also plays a position in which he'll get minutes at the position where Hendricks figures to factor in, in the front court. So with the trades at the trade deadline, the Jazz made an obvious commitment to the youth movement and, and extending their, their focus to where the Jazz have the best chance of winning down the road and what players provide that chance of winning and a factor into the future. And that's Taylor Hendricks, along with Keontae George, Walker Kessler, Lowry Markin. Those are the guys that you build around. So now, obviously, Taylor Hendricks is going to play. He'd hardly played before the trade deadline, and the Jazz was, front office was critiqued for it, and now they're being critiqued more. Is it fair? Time will tell, but, but I would say not yet. Hendricks was promised largely was because he is six foot nine, bouncy, and in college shot 39% from three, 
which is theoretically exactly what the type of player you want. The Salt Lake Tribune's Andy Larson loved him pre-draft. I had him on here to talk about it with you guys. And many people, both locally and nationally, in terms of draft conversation, liken him to Jaron Jackson Jr. or Jaden McDaniels, both of whom are all NBA caliber defenders. And McDaniels, or excuse me, Jackson was the reigning defensive player of the year. So with all that praise, I don't I think it's natural for Hendricks to underwhelm compared to that praise. But that's where I think the Jazz fans have a right to be frustrated in the sense of, oh, well, he was picked nine. Keontae was picked 16. Keontae's overperforming. Hendricks, however, has never been a ball in hand score and, and wasn't as highly touted as Keontae George in high school or even outside of college and Team USA camps or AAU rankings. Keontae George was bred to score and was told so at an early age that the, the ball was his to go out there and score. And it was a shock that he fell to 16 to him and, and many people before that season as he'd never been ranked that lowly in his life. Uh, and that pushed him, motivated him, and he's come out with a vengeance, as you'll see. And and Tony, uh, Tony Jones wrote a wonderful piece about that, how uh, Keontae George was ready for the being the underdog, which he had never been before. Hendricks, on the other hand, blossomed seemingly out of nowhere at UCF and is being asked by fans to immediately be an impactful player at 19 when he anticipated still being in college at UCF with his twin brother, where, where he committed. And Hendricks wasn't a highly rated commit, and he, he won in, in his high school team, but he wasn't at one of those prep schools, whereas Keontae George was bouncing around prep school to prep school playing with future pros. He played alongside Jarris Walker. Uh, and Jarris Walker and Keontae George were teammates at IMG Academy traveling to national tournaments. Keontae George was playing with the USA team for years. I think that exposure allows you to gain confidence and maybe even just naivete that you really want, that you you have this ig blissful ignorance and confidence that leads you to having an earlier um, entree to what the NBA is really like. Hendricks has tremendous value in theory, if if his shot and defensive capacities capacities come along, I mean that that's easy to say. He shot thirty nine percent, and he blocked a lot of shots. He's long, he's bouncy, he's rangy. He should be a good defender. Hendricks did one of the rare things in this world of basketball, and he demonstrated some of that. What we're talking about, what what's so rare a talent that you get likened to all defensive players? Well, he blocked Kevin Durant. Not only uh, that's rare anyway. But he did so as the primary defender, not the help side defender. Didn't get a sneaky block. He blocked Kevin Durant as the primary defender. He also ended up getting crossed over by Kevin Durant. But those things happen as the most gifted scorer in in the last 15 years can can do that. But that's that type of stuff is what I cling to about Taylor Hendricks is that he was able to block Kevin Durant more than what people will talk about is when he was left wide open as the dare shooter against the Warriors and Lakers and he struggled. He took those shots, and that actually meant a lot to me. Hendricks in the G League was scoring nearly 15 points per game, grabbing a little over six rebounds, which are not prolific, but they are substantial. They're, they're no, those aren't tiny numbers. Those are substantial numbers, and he was playing the same role he would in the NBA as a 3 and D guy as the at the small forward and power forward position with a little bit more time on ball. Yes, you may want for more, more prolific numbers because, oh, your lottery pick is in the G League but he's playing the same role that he'll be playing in the NBA. And I think that's beneficial at times. It's just about acquiring confidence. The Jazz did this with Ochag Baji last year. And then he played a far larger role at the end of the season and had so many fans, which are who I'm largely addressing this to, for those of you listening who have been active on Twitter, 
so many were clamoring that Ochai Agbaji was untouchable because of the way he finished last year. Well, Agbaji wasn't untouchable, but he did average 13 and a half points per game, two and a half rebounds, a little over two assists in the 22 games as a starter in 2022-2023's close to the season. That's pretty good. Well, Hendricks could have that type of role coming up soon. He could have more reigns. I don't think the Jazz will be as bad as they were at the end of last year, so he probably won't quite have the role that Ochai had. But he And Ochai did turn out to be untouchable. But he's four years older than Taylor Hendricks is at this current moment. Uh, Hendricks is four years younger at the same stage, taller, actually a higher recruit at a high school than was Agbaji, and shot just as well in his freshman year of college as Ochai Agbaji did throughout his collegiate career. Hendricks has struggled a little bit in man-to-man defenses this year, which is the the more concerning part than the narrative, oh, he can't shoot in the small doses of, of shooting you've seen. But I believe the flashes of him defending Kevin Durant, the energy, the a couple of the blocks, running the floor, transition, defense is stuff you need to watch just as equally as you watch him struggle a bit at man-to-man defense, so much so that earlier in this season when he was in, the Jazz almost exclusively played zone defense. That's, that's an astute observation I overheard from uh, working on a broadcast for one of the games. And when Hendricks was in, the Jazz were playing zone. When Hendricks was out, the Jazz mostly played man. Well, he's going to get better in all these areas, and he'll allow for the Jazz to continue playing with that variability defensively because he's got the the requisite attributes to influence defense. He can block shots. He can run like a deer. He can jump. He can rebound. Those type of things are big, and he's got the potential to be an excellent weak side defender and a secondary shot blocker, which are becoming more and more coveted in today's NBA. And I think he'll grow as a perimeter stopper. I think Taylor Hendricks, in terms of the way he is as a person, he's a shy guy by nature who is learning to be confident. But I was impressed when he was left open and he'd missed a few. He he kept shooting. Sometimes that rattles players. He kept shooting and he did so with confidence. He made one of six threes when he was a true dare shooter against the Los Angeles Lakers. But he also then came into the game and hit a few mid-range jump shots and rebounded the ball and kept playing hard. He's getting 17 minutes a game the first four games out of this, and I think that number is going to grow. I think his confidence will grow, and I like his demeanor, the ability to shoot it when having a hard time. You may not make it, but the confidence to shoot through a slump is better. Obviously, Deion Waiters has that famous phrase of, oh, I'd rather go uh, one for 30 than one for nine because otherwise you stop shooting. Maybe he doesn't have those type of prolific numbers in terms of shot attempts, but if he keeps shooting, I have full faith that number will regress to the mean, or in this case, progress to the mean. I I believe in Hendricks uh, developing, and I think there are players that have proven this, that often when, when a player excels in college past their high school ranking, they, they're, they're a little bit raw. And I think he was always meant to be a, a bit of a, a project that would be a success story of the staff uh, so rather than someone immediately impactful. Obviously, you hope for that, and then the staff further develops them. But I think it was wishful thinking to think he'd have such an immediate impact on a team that had veteran leaders ahead. The Jazz have now committed, as many of you guys had wished, to the youth movement and prioritizing the future and the winning window. And I think he will reward that with more repetitions and more rhythm. Rhythm is so impactful for shooting. It's very difficult to shoot well when you're playing inconsistent minutes. When he plays more consistent minutes, develops confidence in himself, knows the staff believes in him, I think he will continue to improve, and you'll see some of that stuff that, oh, 39% shooter that has been compared to two perennial all-defensive team caliber players for the next decade in Jaden McDaniels and Jaron Jackson Jr. So 
Is he going in a top 10 in a redraft constructed over about this year? No. Was he expected to after year one? No. Can he be top 10 in a redraft after the career is said all, all said and done or in the, in the next five, 10 years? Absolutely. Many players resembling his archetype have blossomed after a, a progress-based first year. Here are some examples that I think are similar players to Taylor Hendricks, both in uh, the size and, and ability, but also in terms of their development process as collegiate players and high school recruits. Well, Jade McDaniels was a five-star coming out of college, but he was picked 28th, but he figures to have a similar role, didn't play too much, and all of a sudden has blossomed into, like I've said, an all-defense caliber player. Jeremy Grant, the Jazz fans are very familiar with him. He was integral in Denver's win over the Jazz in the playoffs, and he's become someone who's become a top option with the ball. I don't necessarily expect that from Hendricks, but Grant, when he came into the league, was just an athlete defensively that would impact shots and rebound the ball, fly around, and and has become a versatile player who is known for being a great 3 and D player that expanded his talent so much so that he got a big contract and became the number one option on a team. Jalen Johnson of Duke. He was picked 21st a few years ago and now is playing alongside Trey Young and really honing his skills as a plus-sized wing. Rui Hachimura just scored a career high against the Utah Jazz, was picked eighth, struggled initially. There were questions, and he was older than Hendricks, and now he's playing alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis and plays a vital role for a team in the Los Angeles Lakers who have playoff aspirations. I think there's hope for Hendricks. Jazz fans may have to be patient as the process may take longer. It's not linear for some of these younger players. Some it is, some it isn't. But the majority, it's not. Even if you are picked highly, uh, I think there is patience that needs to be given to a player who is 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 doing his best, and he is young. He's he's young in the basketball years as well. Having that expectation, you don't you don't go to to UCF and then become the ninth pick and expect to contribute immediately. That would be a pipe dream. But I think Taylor Hendricks has this uh, trajectory that I outlined from a few of these other players. I think he could be similar in that regard. Well, thanks for tuning into Locked on Jazz. And with your next listen, please check out Locked on NBA, where some of the latest discussions of what playoff teams are doing what and and what how to fix the All-Star game are being had. But check that out, and you can find it on the National Sports Channel. And just a reminder, Locked On's launched the first ever National Sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube, and it's also now available on Fire Amazon Fire TV in the free Fire TV channels app. Locked on Sports Today is here for you 24-7 covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On Plus, uh, plus our national shows are covering every league. Find Locked on Sports Today now and available on the free Fire TV channels app. And that'll wrap it up for me. It's been a pleasure being back with you guys. I hope to be back here once more signing off on Locked on Jazz. It's been a pleasure. Leaf to lean. And you've been listening to Locked on Jazz, and I can't wait for the season to get back underway coming up next with your guy, David Locke, taking over the reins once more tomorrow.